Back in the 70s, board games and improv theater had a baby, and it was called the role-playing game. These games allowed a generation of kids to live out their dreams of slaying dragons and saving kingdoms, all while sitting in their bedrooms and basements. Today, gaming has moved into the cultural mainstream, and role-playing games are back with a vengeance. Join us now as five of these former kids come out of the basement and onto the internet to experience adventure, mystery, and obscure pop culture references. It's time for Roll for Combat. Hey everyone, welcome to Roll for Combat. I'm your GM and host, Steven Glicker. And in this week's episode, we start Book 6 of the Dead Sun's Adventure Path, The Empire of Bones by Owen Casey Stevens. Also this week, I give a quick recap of Books 1 through 5 for those of you brand new to the Dead Sun's Adventure Path and the Roll for Combat podcast. And then finally, at the end of the show... I'm going to give you a little recap of what I think of Adventure Paths in general, as I have run a billion Adventure Paths in my long history of role-playing games. So here we are, Book 6 of Dead Sons, and I think you're going to hear it in this week's episode. Everybody has a little bit more pep in their step. Everyone is just a little bit more animated, a little more excited, because you know what happens is, and I'm going to talk more about this at the end of the episode, when you get to Book 6 of Adventure Path, Everyone realizes that this is it. That, you know, things they've been putting off with this character, they really got to do now. Like, things that they've been hiding or they've been waiting to do. There's no more tomorrows. This is the end. They have to figure out what they're going to be doing with their character. And you're going to hear it in this episode, the episodes to come, that people are just getting it out of their systems. They're being a little bit more goofy. They're just being a little bit more silly. They're doing things they probably would have never done a couple of months ago. It's just going to be a lot more fun. And it's just it really comes out on the show. It comes out on the players, uh, especially John. It's just a lot of fun. So I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. I think this is a really fun, great way to start off book six. And everyone is just super amped in this episode. And as usual, I try to make it really easy for anyone who just wants to jump in. And this is a recap of books one through five, because this is episode 107, 107 episodes of Roll for Combat. So maybe you don't want to listen to episodes one through 106. Maybe you just want to jump in right to the end. This is a great place to jump in. And I'm just going to give a really quick recap of books one through five. Here's the thing, I was thinking about it, I was going through it, I'm like, you know what, I don't even really need to tell you what happened in books 1 through 5, because in a weird way, book 6 kind of stands on its own. But the recap is very simple. Way back in book 1, there was a mysterious object that appeared, and these guys, the Roll for Combat guys, they were tasked to check it out. They check it out, weird stuff's on there. A lot of people almost die, and in the end, we find out that this piece of technology is part of some alien artifact. Cut to, well, books 2 through 5. They're running around the galaxy trying to find out what this alien artifact is. They eventually find out it's part of a mega super weapon, 
a Death Star, if you will, or in this case, a Star Killer base, because it actually is called the Stellar Degenerator, and what it does, it'll take any sun, suck all the energy from that sun, and make it a dead sun. Get it? Dead suns? Dun dun dun. Ching! Anyhow, that's what it does. It will actually kill off the sun, and then any planets around that sun will probably die. So it's sort of the opposite of uh, all these other Star Wars-esque explosions, you know, like blowing up stars or blowing up systems. This is the opposite. It actually sucks out the energy of the sun and kills it. So that is all you need to know. And what did they do? They eventually tracked down where the super mega weapon is. Turns out the super mega weapon was designed by some super advanced alien race like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years ago. They eventually find out where it is. They go there. There's actually this cult of the devourer, which is this cult that wants to just kill everybody in the entire universe. That's all they want to do. Real nice life goal. And they're always been one step ahead of the adventurers. They eventually find this place. It's actually an entire star system. And the stellar degenerator is inside of a demiplane. There's 12 suns that are millions of miles apart. And what happens is they actually open up a demiplane where the stellar degenerator is kept. And that's where they hit it. They find this plane. They find the cultists who are always one step ahead of them. They eventually kill all the cultists. All the cultists are dead. And we are going to pick up right where we last left off. It's where they actually opened up the demiplane to get to the Stellar Degenerator. And what they were going to do is board the Stellar Degenerator and decommission it. They were going to blow it up. There was an AI that actually ran the system. And the AI realized... The Stellar Degenerator is way too powerful to be in the hands of anybody. It shouldn't exist. They just need to blow it up because somebody is going to get their hands on it and they're not going to be able to resist using it to, you know, just kill off somebody or use it to ransom off the galaxy. Who knows? So the AI says, look, guys, we're going to figure out a way. I'm going to help you blow it up and decommission it. But then at the very last second, something went wrong. The AI had to sacrifice itself to open up the demiplane to bring the Stellar Degenerator out. And right as the Stellar Degenerator comes out of the demiplane, and by the way, this thing is 20 miles long. It is a massive, massive super weapon. Right as they open up the portal and they're about to realize, great, now what? They have no guidance. They don't know what they're supposed to do. Suddenly, a corpse fleet armada arrives. And the Corpse Fleet, they just want to do nothing except kill every single person and turn them undead. That is their goal. And not only do they arrive, they arrive with a super colossal Ultranaut. That's right. I didn't even know that existed. But this thing is a massive capital ship, six miles long. So you got a capital ship that's six miles long. You got a stellar generator, 20 miles long. You got a huge armada trying to take this thing over. And then you got the PCs and this little, little, little planet in this little, little, little starship trying to figure out, great, now what? There we go. That's where we pick up. This entire module is really self-contained. You almost didn't even need to listen to episodes one through five. And the thing about this module that I like, this module is basically a foot race. It is just go. They just start this adventure 
and they just go right to the end, always running, always going as fast as possible. There's no pausing. There's no, oh, let's go shopping. Let's go check this out over here. Let's do this little side quest. No, they need to get going because they're going to only have one chance to get to the end of this book and they either all win or they all die. Now, of course, it wouldn't be roll for combat if it wasn't for these guys trying to all have their own cake and eat it too because everyone has a different idea of what they should be doing with the Stellar Degenerator, especially Rusty. By the way, I'm going to tell you something secret. Throughout this entire campaign, Rusty, a.k.a. Bob Marquis, has been sending me detailed notes and explanations of how he is going to steal the Stellar Degenerator. That's right. Rusty has always been the werewolf traitor all along. He really wants to sing for himself, and I have a feeling by the end, we might have a Mexican standoff. I'm not exactly sure. I guess we're going to find out soon enough, but it is really going to be getting crazy. You're going to be hearing a lot of craziness from now until the end, and I promise you, I also realize that this is the very last book, I have also been pulling out all the stops and been going completely crazy because I also realize that this is the last chance I'm going to have to torture these characters. I mean, play with these characters. So I make sure that I also have a lot of fun as well. So with that, let's pick up where we last left off. The Stellar Degenerator just appeared. The massive corpse fleet armada arrived. And these guys have to figure out what the heck they're going to do as they're stuck on this planet with just an itty-bitty little ship. Let's pick up where we last left off. Last we left off, a lot of things happened. You managed to... Well, you defeated all the cultists. They're all dead. Ta-da! You've won. You guys could have collected all your gear, gotten all them credits, taking your ship home, going bye-bye. But nope, you had to tinker. You had to open up the Gate of Twelve Suns, release the super weapon. The AI had to sacrifice herself. So now you're all by yourself, and suddenly an armada of undead ships have appeared, led by a super ship six miles long, and looks like they're going to want to take over the super weapon. And yeah, you guys are just kind of sitting on the planet realizing that you just created a massive hornet's nest. I don't even know what you're going to do because you have... I'll, I'll paint a picture for you. On one side, you have a portal that's open. It's half a million miles long. And the super weapon came out, which is about 12 miles long. On the other side... You have a armada of ships. Obviously, the corpse fleet, with the corpse fleet flagship flying big and center. The super colossal ultranaut, the Black Wing Annihilator. This thing is six miles long. In addition, there's even two battleships that are also massive that are next to that ship. And, oh, I don't know, hundreds if not thousands of fighters and escorts and corvettes and cruisers and destroyers and every other ship you can imagine. Anyhow, before we get into all that, I heard you guys leveled up. Why don't you go through and tell me all about your level 11 characters? 
Yeah, before we meddled in things we were not meant to meddle with, uh, Mo finally got some armor. Woo-woo! John Stats is playing the Vesk soldier, Mo Dupinski. Uh, he went from, I think, 27 to a 32 for KAC. Uh, that's a bit of an exaggeration because I had a, a, a kind of a, a side grade, but... Um, yeah, that's a huge percentage of the uh, to hit die. So we're going to see how that works. Uh, Mo's also big upgrade was not from leveling up. Uh, well, actually, was from legitimately leveling up, uh, not from his items. He got uh, step up and attack, which is crazy good. It starts out with you have to have a prerequisite of step up, which is a reaction to anybody doing a five foot step. Uh, my reaction, instead of having an attack of opportunity, is I can move up, which is kind of useless because once I move up, then I can't make an attack of opportunity. But what Mo can do now with the second feat is step up and attack. So his reaction, he can move up to 10 feet as a reaction and attack uh, as all part of a reaction. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So we're going to see how uh, that plans out in combat. Well, I, I don't understand, John, because sure. those require you to actually go into combat. So that sounds right. a little, that sounds a little uh, against uh, Mo's protocol. Isn't it usually oh, way gosh, from see, combat? I wish the people at home could see the battle maps for the past uh, 10 levels. Uh, what you would see is Mo surrounded by monsters. And then at the back of the room, there would be... Oh, Cheddar's up there too. Mo is not by himself. Cheddar is Cheddar's a game day player. Cheddar's... In there with the mix, and then in the back, <laughs> in the back, there you see uh, either Hiroji or Akiro. Um, you don't see Rusty. He he hit around the corner. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Bob Marquis is playing the human envoy, Rusty Carter. And then in the other room, in the other room around the corner, that's where you'll hear Rusty uh, yell, "Get him!" So that, that is basically the battle map for that every true. single adventure. Okay. And, and Tuttle, he's, he's not wrong. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, he's not wrong. Yeah. So, but, but I won't say the people at home, while they have not been able to actually see this happen each time, have been able to hear you whine and complain. Oh yeah. Every oh single yeah. One of and the see, fights for the last two. Right. Years. Right. And, and that's, that's why uh, John stats is always whining about Mo having to fight everything by himself. So he's a Gus, he's got some mobility and, uh, like he'll he'll battle until he is like barely like one hit away from dying. That's when he withdraws. And oh, that's the stuff that makes the cuts for that. That stuff doesn't go on the editing room floor in Steve's uh, mad studio. That is what you're listening to. So that's why uh, Mo sounds like he's always. It's hard to away. cut it out because it uh, it's so really often. hard. That's when that's when everybody. <laughs> that's when the dog pile happens on everyone. Dog piles on Mo, and. Uh, well, so anyway, well, uh, now let's see. You got, you got the armor, you got the weapons, you got the I skills got to the pay armor. the bills. Here you go. Now we're gonna. No find excuses out. now. No, no excuses. excuses now. No excuses. I want you to be charging in, guns blazing, yeah. screaming like a banshee every time. Yeah. So there we are. Wow. Who's next? Damn. That's gonna be hard. Um, to follow I'd up. be willing to go next. 
Jason McDonald is playing the Ahsoki mechanic Tuttle Blacktail and his drone Cheddar. Uh, for Tuttle, it's kind of a boring level. Really, all he got was the ability to use long arms. Uh, I figured he, having an extra weapon choice would be pretty good. We got a couple decent long arm drops in the last few fights. So I decided to make him a little more versatile in his weapon choices. And now I can say, now I have a machine gun. Ho, nice. Ho, ho. ho you have a boot ho. stick. So I'm going to make those H's pop a little. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> so, Hard H. So, conversely, it's actually a kind of exciting level for Cheddar. First of all, as a thing I didn't know, or at least did not expect to find out, Tuttle's tinkering has actually uh, infused Cheddar with a little bit of magic. And so his attacks are now considered magical for the purposes of doing damage. So that will be quite handy. That'd also be an wow. interesting new PhD study, how you can accidentally make science into magic. He gets a feat, which is specifically the spring attack feat, which means he can, he can take an attack during his move. So he can do part of his move, attack, and continue his move. And in fact, also the target of that attack cannot do an attack of opportunity. If there are other people around, wow. they can. So so he, he can do hit-and-run tactics. Cheddar can do hit-and-run tactics now. He can pop in, uh, tactical razor bat somebody, then pop back out. And then the big one, Cheddar gets, at level 11, we get access to advanced drone mods. And I have taken the, the mod Shockwave. Now, there's a little bit of risk to you guys. If Cheddar yeah. is in dire circumstances, I believe when he hits 10 hit points, instead of quote-unquote dying, he shuts down, but in the process releases a electric blast in, in a 10-foot radius that does 1d6 per level. So an 11d6 wow. electrical blast in a 10-foot radius. It's wow. an EMP pulse. That is awesome. Dude, so. hold on. So... You just basically decided to build in the worst element of the Staff of the Magi, where in an emergency, I'm going to break it over my leg and blow up everything. <laughs> Possibly so. Yeah. Shock the monkey, definitely. And considering the Die Hard theme, I will say blow the roof when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah. uh, unfortunately, there's no control over it. It's when he goes under 10 hit points, so I don't have any say over when it fires. I will try you had to say wow. over which mod wow. you're going to give him. You had say. Don't don't say. Oh, that's right. I had say in that I could have not. I could have not given it to him. But beyond that, I do not. I don't have say when it triggers. So you know the other thing, and I think we forgot about this, Jason, is that you can do a full action, a full move, and and so can Cheddar. I think both Tuttle and Cheddar can do full round actions now. Uh, I think you've actually had that for a few levels. I think we just always forget. Yeah, to do I think that. I've been guilty of sometimes going back to old habits and not using my full potential. So I think that's mostly on me. But yeah, no, that's on me too. Because quite frankly, there's a lot to keep track of. And uh, but now all of you remember when Jason is not giving every one of his creatures full mobility and things to do. You yell. You're allowed to hassle me about it. That's right. That's right. Because he should be able to do four. That's a bingo square. And title. That's a bingo square. That's right. Bingo. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to explain that one. Now, Tuttle is pretty cool, but Cheddar also, his weapons, this actually automatically happened as part of his goblin technology. 
at 11th level, he is weapons upgraded to in damage because uh, they were they were a little bit behind the curve. And in theory, what happens is you could have kept swapping out the weapons with weapons you found, but because of the goblin technology, he automatically levels up. So now his weapons are more or less approximate to what you've been finding like the swords and the guns. So his weapons are still the same weapons, but their damage has been increased, which which happens automatically. So. Cheddar is way more powerful. because Cheddar, so Ch- Cheddar is a badass now. Yeah, Cheddar went from, well, after his last near-death experience where he literally went down to one hit point, if you remember that one, one hit point. I think I think you're like not fooling around anymore and decided to just go all out and give him the full chrome detail. I always thought of Cheddar as um, R2-D2 on Jabba the Hutt's pleasure yacht. Chris Beamer is playing the tiefling technomancer Akiro the Just. <laughs> Serving drinks and whatnot. He's R2-D2 all shiny and come on. R2-D2 is a pussy. <laughs> Cheddar, Cheddar, is, Cheddar is tough. Cheddar... R2-D2 used to be able to fly. Well, R2-D2 was like giving out like little cocktails. Cheddar gives exactly. out like the hard liquor, and he gives out like moonshine. Ah. Wasn't Akiro the Just going next? I'm sure you have well, a plethora. I, I will warn you, mine will be an anticlimax. Though. All right, well, oh, Akira, all right, well then let's well, then, then, wait, then let's go the other way around. Let's have Bob go, okay. and then have the big climax, Akiro the Just. Let's have Rusty go. But it will Rusty's be needlessly complicated, I suspect. No, no. In this case, it'll be extremely streamlined. All no, right, we're so, talking about Chris. <laughs> it will be needlessly complicated. That's true. Uh, mine will be very simple. Basically, I only got one new feat and one new Envoy ability. The Envoy ability is now I have that option of like re-rolling my diplomacy and adding my bonus the same way I do bluff. Which is interesting because I think I started doing that in the game about three levels ago, forgetting which Envoy improvisation I was taking. So actually, I've been cheating at least for three levels. But now it's official, so I've retroactively have not been cheating. And now my official GM ruling is that for the next three levels, you can't use that ability. Oh, thank God. Oh, Uh, that's good. You'll forget it by next week. I'm not worried. Yeah, that'll speed things up, too. Yeah. At any rate, uh, my fate, though, I decided to actually take one that would be of most help to the the most important people in the the party. So I took fleet to increase my speed by 10. So while I'm way in the back, if things go poorly, I'm going to get the hell out of there much, much faster. Oh, my God. No, I think it's extraordinarily All right. That that, uh, that might have been the worst thing you could have picked. Wow. wow. Okay, so the center of <laughs> no, the no, bingo no. square is Rusty being totally ineffectual in combat. That is the oh yeah that, that, that the, everybody starts with that because there's just yeah exactly. you know that's, that's the center square. Well, no, but actually, I was thinking <sighs> actually in terms of what's in front of us right now. There is a massive, massive, massive battleship that is like going across the sky. I figure it's aimed directly at like some star or stellar destroyer or something. So I want to run to the back of the ship so I die long after the rest of you, since we're all going to die. You're the character that I want to have long arms because you're so out <laughs> of combat that maybe you could like you know contribute but all right all right maybe it'll help out and that's it nothing else changed the hero the just the hero the hero right, well the hero the mighty to, um address 
my the accusation that that akira is in the back you have to remember that akira is a technomancer and thus a glass cannon so let's just get that out of the way so he's not supposed right. to be in melee that, that was you wear glass. heavy armor you wear all heavy armor of, all four of akira's images are in the back oh, yeah. with him also the best armor by the way of the group yeah. Well, so, you know, more glass than cannon. More glass than good, cannon. Let's just say that. A <laughs> little bit more glass than cannon. Okay. So, um, all right. Uh, he got a new magical hack, um, which is nothing that interesting. There's the for him, he just took something called spell countermeasures, so he's become more resilient to resisting the effects of spells cast on him. So he's able to uh, get a plus with that. Yeah, what do you know? More defensive. Yeah. Keep yeah more going. defensive. I, I like the defenses. All right, so for feats, um, he took Spell Focus, which just makes his uh, his spells be able to, to land better. Has a Nice. Has a, it's so that if there's a saving throw involved, it's harder for them to make a save. Um, and That's not for good. spells, he got an additional first level spell and an additional fourth level spell, which is quite nice. So for a first level spell, he just it's not a great lot of great choices because he already got many of the good ones but he does have life bubble which can be good you never know um it's good for environmental uh if there's environmental issues with heat or extreme cold you have a spacesuit on i know but there's not a lot of choices you know um don't hate the player i mean it would have been nice to have like in the jungles when we were there you know but uh, for fourth level, he did take another offensive spell called Corrosive Haze, which you will see when I actually cast it. It'll be fun when you see it in action. And that's about it. Glass cannon in the back, in the rear with the gear, casting spells. That's where he belongs. Way more glass than cannon. <laughs> well, so yeah. Why don't you explain the bingo thing, John? Since, uh, although. Jason's the one who came up with the idea, but I think John will have more fun explaining it. Um, actually, I'll defer to Jason. I think he had the uh, the, the 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 right idea. He 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 coined the phrase "Beamer Bingo." Um, go ahead, Jason. Just it's not that complicated a concept. It's just that we've noticed over the years that uh, our good friend Chris is uh, fond of certain phrases, as it were. Um, some of them in the game, in the D&D games or the Pathfinder games themselves, some of them just general life phrases, uh, such as bragging about the computer of the future. Uh, future-proof. Future-proof computer, I'm sorry. Uh, various things related to Warcraft and complaining about his guild slash bragging about him, him being the best <laughs> warlock in his guild. Best warlock on the oh, server. Yeah. I'm sorry, on the server. We're not yeah. giving you enough credit there. So. Yeah, so over time, we've built up a uh, collection of these that uh, we can turn into a healthy, uh, healthy game of bingo or an unhealthy drinking game. But that would, <laughs> yes. that would make these sessions really messy. So bingo is probably the better choice. Yeah. So what we want to do is I want well, what we want is someone else to do is come up with a Beamer bingo card and put a few of them on the Internet. So. You can play at home and see who wins the uh, the bingo contest. So, if Chris says something and someone yells out bingo, that's that's probably where the reference is coming to. It's just you know, it's uh, it's on the docket. We're going to be talking about it. I think so. the center square that everyone gets for free would be heal me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, heal me. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> that, is, that is absolutely. 
the center square. <laughs> no, 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 no. I it's me complaining healing. about Rusty being out of combat. I already claimed it. I already claimed the center square. No, I'm afraid not. I think actually Jason's right there. I uh, need healing right. or heal me. Majority rules. Bastards. Don't blame the player. Oh, and actually, uh, that reminds me of something, actually. Speaking of healing, like, I think we found out that Envoys could take stuff that allows them to heal. And Sorry? here we and here we are again, another level where the, that was not taken. When, when did when did we but find that out? But he's more mobile. Huh? He's more mobile now. They oh. have an ability to do some healing. And no, I'm, I'm confused. You're saying we found that out, but I don't know from where I heard that. No, you see, he can run back to the ship and gets healing zero <laughs> for himself. Oh, oh, that yes, <sighs> I've, I've been doing that for the benefit of the party. I'm trying to make. Yeah, it. I think we we found that out from the designer of the envoy class mentioned that. Right. Really? I don't remember. Paizo. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. wow, yet again, another opportunity yeah. he could have done that, and wow, he's going to run 10 feet faster. Okay, that's good. Yeah, we'll, we'll take it as a good life choice. As how Bob plays his class. So, okay, okay moving on. <laughs> uh, look, hey, uh, at, I'm still alive, and you know that other envoy that you're talking about? That seems to be dead. I seem to have actually claimed envoy supremacy over the creator of the class. That's all I'm saying. Wow. Yeah, well, there's different envoys. I am the top envoy on my server, and I do the highest. Any <laughs> oh, that's anywhere true. On that server. That is Bingo. true. You're the best envoy in the room right now. Your DPS is low. My DPS is nearly non-existent. Uh, by the way, Steve, I I thought we were in a, a ship. Or were we on the planet when we saw the thing come in? In the you no. mentioned in the recap that we were in uh, on the planet, and maybe you you're still on the planet. Going. Okay, okay. okay. So, yes, you are still on the planet because what you needed to do, the plan was that you were back at the controller moon on the planet with all the life, and you were going to, the plan originally, if you remember, was that you were going to open up the demiplane, help out the AI, board the super weapon, and then fly it into the sun and destroy it once and for all. Unfortunately, as soon as you opened up the demiplane, which was having problems, and the only way it could be opened is the AI had to sacrifice herself to get it open, so she's gone, and suddenly every alarm went off. You look on the panels, and you can't see it from, like, you can't actually see it from planet, but you can look at all the panels, and there's just, like, an absolute barrage of readouts explaining and showing the uh, ships that are coming. And I even have a picture of what it was. Yeah, that's a good picture, too. That's a uh, that's an episode picture, definitely. Yeah, the, the, the picture of the ship itself and the picture of here is what the ship looks like. The Black Wing Annihilator. Oh, I'm looking at the other... Yes, uh, that's the other one. That's right. I'm having the handouts now. There's you're looking at the bone ship. Yeah. The, the yeah. one above it is the black wing, right? Yeah. That's oh, a sorry, battleship. Yeah. That's In a battleship. That's not it. Yeah. That's a battleship. No, no, that's it. That's the black wing. So actually the one above, you can see the super weapon coming out of the portal. And uh, below it in the lower left-hand corner, that is the Black Wing Annihilator going to claim its prize. And then you can see lots of little ships. If you look around, there's dozens of little baby ships all around it. Anyhow, with that, let's look to see what has happened. Okay, a lot is going on right now. One thing that you know is that, just to 
give you a recap that these are Eoxian ships. Their design is strange. They're kind of a mixture of magic technology. They're made out of bone and they're open to the void of space. There's dozens and dozens of them, various shapes and sizes, but they're all built for war. And you know for a fact that this is definitely the corpse fleet. How they managed to find you and know about this, eh, I guess maybe we'll find out, maybe we won't. The flagship is six miles long, and it's something of legend, this ship. It's one of these things that people have talked about, supposedly existing, but it's always been, been denied by the EOX government because they guess they didn't want to admit that their super colossal Ultranaut was uh, lost to the bad guys, which obviously you can see why. And um, yeah. Now, something else interesting just occurred. The weapons and the defense from the Najor system has suddenly come alive. And every single planet and all these defenses that you had no idea that even existed have sprung to life and are getting ready and actually are starting to attack the fleet. So outside of your window is a Return of the Jedi-style battle going on right now nice. while you're on the planet. It's a trap! It's a trap! Um, okay, so we're looking in the sky and just, like, trembling as the mortal mortals that we are, correct? You're actually looking at the computer screens and trembling, oh. but yes. Oh, oh, okay, all right. Mortals? We're not more. Oh, you're more right. We're mortals. Oh, that's right. I forgot about Eon Tuttle and Undead Rusty. <sighs> well, you're a mortal. Also, the demon. Also, the de demonic. Gosh, that's true. Uh, uh, you're wow, the only it, mortal here. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Tuttle, cheese. Oh my God, Cheddar is. Oh my God, I'm the only one who's mortal. All right, Mo's yeah, just a we're, guy. <laughs> we're gonna remember you thousands of years from now. We'll wow, I'm, for, you know. I'm I'm shoulder to shoulder with titans. Yeah, Cheddar. Even Cheddar is a strange uh, mixture of technology and goblin and magic. So he's his own thing. You, yeah. Mo, yeah. Can we get Mo? When into does the Mo shop? get his upgrade? <laughs> yeah. Can we get you into the shop for some supernatural meddling or something? <laughs> Yeah, like, give me some wings or something. Well, yeah, Mo, Moe's... Well, you're the everyman. You're the one that everyone has to relate to. <laughs> Great, you're, yeah. You're, you're the one that the, the listeners relate to going, that's me. I'm the yeah. average Joe with those superheroes. Right. He's the companion in Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, great, great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, my superpower is I get to speak to the fishes. That's, that's, either, that that's... Or, either that or you use the stitch spider so much you're eventually going to get mutated by it. <sighs> oh, I'm waiting for that stitch spider. Bonus. Actually, John, for narrative purposes, if you could do your job better, every once in a while, could you just ask, you know, but that you say that you don't understand what's going on, so one of us can like mansplain it to you, and like you know, uh, it'll actually great. allow everyone else to keep up. Great, that that'll that'll do so well for for Mo's ego. All right, so gosh, what are what are our options? Like, do they look like they're attacking the planet that we're on, um, or is this all these worlds, all these suns, and the worlds that you know revolve around the suns? They're attacking the fleet. 
In theory, you would have to do a computer's check, but Tuttle's computer is so high that you don't even need to do the checks. So Tuttle can automatically... Well, he could probably answer any question you want, more or less, by looking at the computer. Tell us, Tuttle. Tell us mere mortals what to do. Uh, Tuttle looks at the computers and can see that, sure enough, there is an epic battle going on outside. The automated defenses placed all around the Nadir system are keeping the corpse fleet at bay for the time being. However, you do know that these systems are literally a million plus years old, so who knows how long they'll last. They probably won't last forever. You do see smaller attack ships breaking off and attacking the specific planets and moons and sending down ground troops. Damn. Oh, so it seems they may actually be coming to our location. Uh, Mo is going to do a military check, which I believe might be social. There's no such thing as a military knowledge check, but I do have a bonus to that. So uh, I, I will appeal to the GM's um, ruling. Sure, just use your social and then we'll add some extra. Okay, I'm just going to roll uh, a d20. I'll, I'll assist for the hell of it. Oh, he rolls oh. a one. <laughs> but I Never mind your assist, Rusty. Mo rolls No, no, I, I brought it up to a failure roll of three. It was great. Wow. Mo goes, I don't know. <laughs> Much like the everyman who's thrown into a situation <laughs> way above his pay grade. There's like drool no idea. Out. There's drool coming down from Moe's upper lip that, that, that just, like, rests on, like, the keyboard and, you know, like, cheddar kind of, like, or, uh... And this is uh, different from normal Mo. how exactly? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's right. Well, that's the closest thing you get from a knowledge check from Mo. so there you go. Well, this is all happening. I mean, here's the thing. This fight is probably going to last a little while. This is like, been going on for, you know, maybe... It took about 20 minutes, if you remember, for the gate to open. The ships appeared. Some of the smaller ships are very fast and have been starting to sort of go through the systems or fighting. The capital ships are sticking back and sort of lending support. And there's several capital ships. They're not in the thick of battle, but all the smaller ships and scout ships are charging in, looking like they're trying to both take out the defenses and sort of get footholds on the planets so there you go um did we we did not rest or anything right in a while you rested automatically what happened if you remember you rested you got to level 11 we didn't do oh, right, we right, did right. it we, we did a little out of order it's like in theory you would have been level 11 and then this would have occurred but i did it kind of reverse and then we i i don't know if there's any way to 3po the odds uh, i mean how what would be our chances be of getting through the this battlefield and getting to the stellar generator? I mean, maybe that's a stupid question, but well, there's two issues that Tuttle sees. One, the chances are that you probably wouldn't have been able to do it initially because there was no defenses up, and you had the AI helping you. The problem is the AI is gone, so you don't even know how to get on the stellar generator. And now the full defensive system has come up and is basically firing these weapons that are holding an entire massive fleet at bay, the chance of you getting near the Stellar Degenerator is less than zero. Well, what about the capital ship? 
like if they're preoccupied with the system defenses, it seems like a good plan might be to Millennium Falcon our way into the Death Star, so to speak. That is actually very possible because A, your ship is itty bitty teeny tiny, and B, these ships are open to space. So getting onto one of the larger or the capital ship is probably doable. Obviously, you know, you'd probably need somebody who's partially undead with really good social skills to kind of get you through that. But I don't think you have anyone like that, but it could be possible. Well, we can blast our way. Pardon me? Yeah, it sounds like we'll have to blast our way through this situation. So... Uh, Mo suggests we get onto one of the, uh, well, onto the capital ship and um, weasel our way to a uh, vulnerable, vulnerable spot and like set demolition charges, maybe, or something like that to destroy this thing. Okay. So, step one I use my disguise abilities to look like I am a captain of a corpse fleet vessel. Interesting. That will be a fascinating way to get through this. How would that work exactly? How does you disguise yourself using whatever's around you to look like a corpse fleet captain? Well, okay. First of all, I have to look undead. Check. Done. Second, I have to look like a captain. Check. Done. <laughs> and are there well, what, any what other questions? corpses to decorate yourself with? Oh, gee. Yeah. Look around. Do you speak Eoxian? Check. Got it. So you're going to turn off your uh, your beauty maker that's been covering yes, up Yes, your... I'm turning off my little oh, visual. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, boy. Which I've had no! running nonstop for the last He's running while. around in circles. He doesn't understand. <laughs> okay, yes. I have turn off my image inducer that makes me look like I am a gorgeously attractive human male. Is Rusty no longer dreamy? Well, actually, I am still dreamy. I'm just a little less I don't know. dreamy. More nightmarish. Why don't you describe once and for all? Come on, this is the sixth and final book. I think people have waited long enough to fully understand what Rusty has become. Well, to a certain extent, of course, he's, well, pretty much exactly the same sort of size and build as he is. At this point, of course, though, his hair is now, his hair is faded to a sort of gray. His skin is now extraordinarily pasty white and extremely dried out. Uh, Other issues that he currently has is, of course, that his eyes are actually glowing a very bright red. (laughs) At any rate, well, glowing is more absolute. They are a a reddish, deep red that seems to glow in the dark. Uh, As he speaks, he speaks with a voice that sounds like a vampire that's actually trying to mesmerize you. And, of course, there is sort of a strange movement in his chest, almost as if his heart is trying to beat outside of his chest alive. Do we have to make a will save to not attack Rusty at this point? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about it. I was thinking will yeah. save. You guys, uh, you guys, it's sort of like that Futurama episode where you, like, melt. <laughs> you look at him and you just, you just disintegrate. It's like... You can't it's look more at like him. I think it's more like Rusty is uh, a, a member of the Elizabeth Dane sailing into Antonio Bay, and Mo just doesn't like trust that. That that's a little bit uh, too uh, uh, scary. You're definitely like Captain. Okay, Blake. 
people what you guys need to understand, and here I'm going to need you all to make some sense motive checks, is I'm going to say, okay, my disguise ability really is working, so now I think I can look like them. Okay, wait, guys, do you think I look like I'm undead now? Uh, yeah, kind of. Actually, Akiro could uh, help out uh, quite a bit with the uh, whole, um, you know, crazy corpse core thing. What do you mean? I mean... That's what uh, you're from, right? Uh, well, no, no. Uh, I was a, I was a cultist. There you go. Uh, cultist. I, I yeah, find your disguise. Thing. I find your disguise very convincing. Excellent. That's great. I'm glad that it's working. All right. Wonderful. Wow. This this went ugly quickly. So poor Mo. Mo. He 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 was feeling so good about himself too. He's like, oh man, I got really really good armor. I got some new skills. And next thing I know. Everybody's changed. Let's hey, 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 it's Ro- just a disguise, Mo. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm still your captain. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. right. There you go. Yeah. Mo, Mo gains the unsettled. Yeah. yeah, Mo gains the unsettled <laughs> condition is what he gets. New uh, new modifier in uh, Starfinder. <laughs> Look, Mo, uh, actually, your reaction tells me, Mo, that this is really apparently more convincing than I even expected. And you know what? I think that's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I appreciate that. That's great. You know what? I appreciate that you're enjoying this. Look, yeah. once we get on board, though, remember, you treat me like you always do. As your captain, that you'll obey no matter what insane order I give you. Sir, yes, sir. Excellent. I'm glad. Now, we need to work up some insignia and possibly some uniformness for uh, clothing. Do, do we have an older command code, but it checks out? <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, that's where Akira comes in. Akira, oh. don us. Don us with your uh, cultist way. Now, these are not cultists. These are corpse core. This is corpse lead. This is oh, corpse lead. It's different. But we've met them in the past, so we saw how they dress, how they act. We actually have information about them. Yeah. Uh, Demon devils, same difference. (laughs) Really exactly opposite, actually. No, no, they're exactly the same. And daemons, too. That one where you spell it with a little A in it. All right, well, Mo is just going to stand there with his arms outstretched while Akiro does his uh, corpse core slash um, cultist way to... Okay, it's totally different. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think we need to get in our ship and get to that capital ship. Sounds sure. good. All right. But I want some decorations. I don't think we have time for that. We're just too small. They're not going to notice us. I mean, we're nothing. We're like a little blip. I mean, the thing is eight miles long. All right. Well, all right. Well, we're flying. A Maybe. ship of this size poses no threat to them. How on? How often do we get to use the word dawn without, you know, being related to Christmas? I don my armor. Yes, I want donned decorations on his armor. Can can we festoon our ship? Ooh, <laughs> that's a very good word. I have a feeling we're going to be quoting Jedi like endlessly for the next couple of months because oh. there's a lot of references to uh, Star Wars in this module. So. Oh, uh, everything's okay up here. Everything's fine. Um, how are you? <laughs> All okay. Right, so. You you exit the facility, walking towards your ship. When you see, off in the distance, where your ship is, an extremely large column of black smoke. Oh no! Oh, okay. Someone destroyed our ship. 
oh. plan just got a little tougher if our ship's gone. Oh, uh, no. well, you guys are all the way up there. Move, you start moving yourself. Uh, how are you going to get there? Is, I mean, wait, I mean, wait, wait. I've got, is I've it got coming where pack. our ship was? Is it coming yes. from our ship? Yes. Oh, no. Now, wait, we have a couple of, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Anti gravity bikes, right? Yes, we do. You yes, had, yeah, we you do. Had those crazy bikes. I'm not sure what happened to them, but uh, no, I think you guys, no, yeah, no, we're using them to put around. Outside. So. Yeah, they're okay. Outside. Yeah, you guys can use your bikes uh, to Akira over here. And Rusty, they were definitely riding bitch, they were behind. <laughs> uh, I'm a really Mo, good driver, though. Mo's gonna take his shirt off to make it even more uncomfortable for the person who gets on, and uh. You know, well, so. I'm I can ride shotgun because I can shoot while I'm riding. I like that. Oh, idea. yeah, that would be great if we had sidecars. But you riding, bitch. That's a, <laughs> well, let's I call it what it's let's let's call it what it is. I don't think that's PC. All right, uh, you're riding female dog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so I we get that. on our speeder bikes. Are definitely wow, Return of the Jedi. How many of those do we have? Five? Two. 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 No. So All right. I'm going to say you guys gonna, speed along. Walk. You guys are running. Well, it actually, um, I think Cheddar, carried, Cheddar three like, zips along. Yeah, we actually talked about this a while ago. Cheddar, uh, we made the whole joke to uh, the uh, vacation movie where uh, he was trying to keep up and then you know, he died. But all right, you, you, you zip through the forest. You go around the bend. And you see quite the sight. Let me show you. Ah, there we go. There's our new oh, ship. Oh, no. You see your ship, the Sunrise Maiden, in flames. No. It is completely destroyed. On the platform, you see eight corpse folk marines. Looks like they're ready for you. Looks like they recently landed in their ship. And, well, you can probably guess what's going to happen next. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah. Beep, 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 beep. Pretty will, there be rolling, will there be rolling Roll for combat? Roll for combat! <sighs> Whoa, Man. that is a lot of combats going on. Oh, my God. Look at those guys. They look cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, look they, cool. Look, they look really cool. Yeah, so there's eight of these corpse folk marine soldiers. They seem to have grenades. They have gauntlets that are like flashing like some weird energy. And they have rifles. And they see you. They immediately form a line. That's, uh, is that a platform or is that... What is that? Yeah, that's like... That's the, uh, that's the landing pad. Okay, so it's on ground level then. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, ground like level. Raised up. Okay. No, not really. I mean, it's like a little race, but it's sort of like. And the ship on the right was your ship, obviously in flames, and their ship is on the left, which looks awfully nice and cool. Mm, our new ship. Maybe. On the other, yeah, if we can get their ship, we can That's actually ideal. this job becomes yeah. a little easier. That's right. I don't know. Uh, it? Could this be a job for Rusty? Uh... How funny you should say that. Before we even start shooting, should we maybe have Rusty take uh, a swing? I'm going to pull out my feet, fast talk. Well, you're and far away, right? You're far away, and they're going first. Um, they they see you. Coming. Are they, though? It's the whole point of this feat. Before combat well, what begins. What does it do? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay, go right ahead. <laughs> yes. Wh no, when? Oh, right sorry. Ahead. 
when the GM declares combat's begun, but before initiative is rolled, I can spend one resolve point to attempt a bluff check against a single creature that to fast talk it and tell it basically that it will get so confused it will actually stand there and actually be willing to converse with me, giving us all a uh, surprise action. Go right ahead. There's eight of them. Yes. Which one appears to be in charge? You cannot tell. Does that have a range oh. on it? That seems odd. Uh, Probably it? audio range. Don't say the range. name. Fast talk. Yeah. I'll give you a little bit of a negative for being so far away, but um, yeah, right. that makes so sense. You go right uh, ahead. DC that's is... that's the whole point. Use it. Great. The DC is fifteen plus the target's total perception skill bonus, or twenty plus one and a half times the target's CR, whichever's higher. Okay. I'll do the math. So you it has a high DC. Yeah. Roll right. your thingy. All right, the one in front. No, 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 that's not good enough. <laughs> that's not good enough. That six isn't good. good. He that rolls a six. Too good. Are you sure? Oh, oh and 41. So rolls an 18 for a 41. Yeah, there 41. we go. 41. All right, so there's my 41 bluff, and I'm saying, all right, all right, all right. Thank goodness, you boys in Aoxian. I'm sorry. You idiots finally got here to actually, like, take us off this planet. I'm taking command from here on in. Okay, now that only works on one, though. I understand. Uh, so Front and center. But I also do say this quite loudly in Eoxia. All right, I'll give you the surprise round, because he's like, he's like, what's going on, guys? Wait, there's someone with him. And he's saying this in all Eoxia, and he's like, wait, wait, wait. There, so I'm confused. And Akiro sees his golden opportunity to maybe do something. All right. Oh, here comes Magic Mirror. Here comes one yes, Magic comes Mirror, one should magic I say. Mirror. That's, thank God, we have the surprise round so we can get that off in time to get the drop off. Plan A. That's what I like to call it. Oh, my God. Or you could do an AOE, or you could do something else. Plan They're A. lined up like bowling pins, dude. You can just, plan just knock A them all from over. outer space. Okay. Well, uh, how, what's the range between space. me and them right now? You it are. Looks like, it's actually pretty far. The closest one is 125 feet. Ouch. Okay. That's out of weapon range, but... Not? You have long That's arms a minus on. two. Dude! <laughs> yeah, it's like a minus two. What, what are you... Uh, my, my gun only has a range of 50. All right, so it's minus yeah, four. Yeah, and you can shoot up to 10 times the range. It's just a minus two. Big deal. And they're flat-footed. Oh, you know, what I forgot to say, but I would have done and while we were resting and stuff, is all of the stuff that was on my old rifle, like my scope and my other thing, would be on this rifle. Okay. All right. I'll give you that. Yeah. All right. But I'm not doing that. Right. So uh, I'm not I'm not shooting. All right. Actually, from here, I can fire. I can uh, cast a spell. And you've seen this one before as a spent battery uh, erupts in, in uh, flame and smoke. And launches from his hand and blows up in the middle of the, the group that's lined up here and gets them all. What's the burst? Twenty foot radius burst. Yeah, that's gonna get. Three. That's gonna get four of them, maybe. Maybe four, probably three. Yeah. Maybe three. Three. <laughs> <You can get laughs> three. That is the. I presume those are the three you want. You can get that's three. A start. Yeah, let me just double check that. Actually, I yeah, almost I almost took a feat that was gonna double that. I almost took a. Yeah. This is a huge right. battle map. So. 20-foot radius burst. Okay, so uh, they need to make a DC 21 reflex save. Don't you have to hit that square? I don't have to do a hit, no. Oh, it's just automatic? Okay. 
Mm-hmm. It's a flag of fireball. What's their what's the reflex save? Twenty-one. Okay, so one made it. That's it. Alright, let me do damage. Is that explosive blast? It is. Is that magic? It Ooh, is magic. Forty-one. That's actually pretty good. Oh, not a bad roll. Six, six, six. Wow. Well, I also got a plus five damage. That was a very good roll. Huh. That was 96, 41. That's actually like one above average. <laughs> so 96, 96 plus five. That's yeah. not bad for three uh, a little bit recipients. More yeah, Pretty good. Oh, and I get a move action. Uh, for All right, where are you going to move? Sorry. Just tell me we where get you're a move on. and... A standard? No, no, it's a surprise. You don't get a move. Surprise round. Oh, yeah, we, surprise yeah, we round? don't okay, get. Yeah, fine. we don't get. Yeah, we're okay. in the surprise round right now. Mo is okay, up. So, so. Mo is up. Uh, all right, so I'm going to say this just so the other people in the party know what Mo's temperament is. You destroyed the Sunrise Maiden. Mo is as angry as Luke Skywalker returning home to find his aunt and uncle dead. There's not a lot of diplomacy that's going to happen right now. So um, he is going to start off with his ranged weapon. That's that's what he's going to do. That's his normal first round attack. So 120 feet away. A laser rifle yeah on the guy in the very center yeah in the very very center you hit nice you hit and yep yeah, we do 22 fire damage nice rusty is up all right uh the one in the middle does appear to be the most damaged um yeah all right i'll shoot at it i don't see any downside to it bombarding sharon eye rifle yeah, exactly. Uh, and as part of an attack action, I will make another bluff check to try and make it flat-footed. It's a surprise round, so they're flat-footed. Oh, they're already flat-footed. Oh, right, right. flat-footed. Now Ann tuttles up. Uh, did I attack? Did I make the attack? I don't know. You made the attack and you hit, and you did 16 points of damage. Okay, um, I'm going to use my Dragon Drake pistol. What is the range for that thing? That's a good question, actually. Uh, 60 feet for the rifle. 50 feet, I think. For the pistol, it's 30 feet. Ew. All right, so maybe I better use the rifle instead. The rifle is probably like 60 or 70. Nope, the rifle's 50. Oh, core 50. All right, well, I'm actually going to move closer then. I'm going to get a little bit better shot. Well, you only get one action. Surprise these are, oh, these right. are good rifles. Too, All right. Actually. Well, in that case, I'm going to go ahead and take a shot from this distance. There you go. Worst thing that can happen is you miss. But you do wow. not miss. He's like, I'll take a shot from here. Wachink! But if it's truly one action, I can't give Cheddar any commands. So I guess Cheddar doesn't do anything. Uh, okay. Eh, we had a decent opening salvo. We can't complain. Yeah, everybody hit, so... Yeah, and now they're all going to shoot at Mo anyway, so that's fine. I did a, I, I did 100 damage, but who's counting, really? Okay, now they go. They're all waking up after they just got shot. They're going, it's a trump! Form a line! 
Hey everyone, Steve here. So there we go, Beamer Bingo. If anyone wants to make a bingo card, I tell ya, I, I might even give you something. I might even give you a free t-shirt if someone comes up with a really good bingo card. Because I would like to see that. And I realize I'm also guilty of kind of saying the same things. Everyone does it. Everyone says the same things over and over again. In fact, one of my favorite podcasts, How Did This Get Made? They had one podcast where they took a supercut of the same things that people say over and over again on that podcast and just put it together in this one big supercut. And everyone does it. Everyone just keeps saying the same things, especially on podcasts, because that's just human nature. It's just funny because Chris Beamers are very memorable. Like, I might say the same things over and over again, but those are just like, you know, vocal tics. He says the same things over and over again, but on purpose. <laughs> he always talks about the same things. The funniest thing that you don't hear is that offline, he always talks about the same things as well when we're joking. He's a huge World of Warcraft player, and truth be told, he's one of the best in the world. He's really good at World of Warcraft. He just plays religiously. He is excellent. He spends way, way too much time making sure his character is the best of the best. And he just always brags about how good he is. Uh, truth be told, he is that good. But it's just very funny. Anyhow, if anyone wants to put together a Beamer Bingo or a Roll for Combat Bingo sheet, I would love to see that, or even a couple. And then we could actually play it. That'd be really funny if we did that on the Discord channel. I'd love to try that out. Or even just randomly put together some phrases. Actually, that's the best way to do it, is if we just find all these phrases that we say, and then we could just randomly make bingo sheets. The funny thing is, what will be the center square? We all got to think about what is the center square? What is the thing that we say almost every single episode as you get that as a free square? Probably, if it's going to be anything in my mind, it's Akiro Cast's mirror image. That's the free square because he does it every single fight. It's the first thing he does. He does that before he even casts Magic Missile, so that would be mine. As for me cutting it off in this part, this is a huge fight. There's over a thousand hit points of bad guys in this fight. There's something like 8 or 12, I forgot how many. There's a lot of bad guys. They all have over a hundred hit points each. This fight's going to take a little while. It is, um, I don't know, it's a good test of their abilities. It's a good test of grinding them out. Now, if you don't realize it, at this point of the adventure, almost every single fight, it's been the PCs against one bad guy. Every so often, it'll be two or three. And as we got deeper into the books, they started to mix it up, and we had more and more bad guys. Again, that had to do with the fact that these were the very first books written for Starfinder. They didn't quite get the balance down right exactly, so they always put like one monster against the PCs because they didn't want to overwhelm them. By book six, they go crazy. They're throwing like a dozen monsters at the PCs at a time. So the fights are bigger. They're more deadly. Everyone hits really hard. Even if the monsters aren't the most deadly monsters, they seem to have hundreds of hit points. So the combats do take a little while. After this combat, I actually modify the combats a bit so they don't take quite so long because I don't mind having combats in the show, but I think really long combats are kind of like a slog fest. So I kind of adjust them a bit. You're going to see what I mean. Don't worry, they stay just as deadly. In fact, what I do is I just make them harder, but with less opponents, things like that. 
So as I said in the beginning of the episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about my history with Adventure Paths and kind of what I thought about so far Dead Sons. Now, I've been playing Adventure Paths, as I've said many times, since the Age of Worms. And many people consider that like the modern day Adventure Path, the second Adventure Path ever created back in Dungeon Magazine. The very first one ever was the Shackled City. And that was an Adventure Path where there was 12 adventures all together and it was epic massive huge adventure unbelievably good i still say age of worms is by far the best adventure path ever written not only because the story was just fantastic where you're up against chaos the dead god who's just trying to destroy everything and you just do every legendary thing you could ever imagine in the world of dungeons and dragons you fight every legendary creature you find the Hand of Vecna. You find all the crazy, most legendary magic items of all time. This thing is fantastic. Since then, I have played many adventure paths. But I was thinking about it. I forgot. There was actually an adventure path. The very first one, I think, came out in 1984. Which I never played, but I definitely, as a kid, bought and read. And that was the War of the Lance, a.k.a. Dragonlance. And they came out way back in 1984 with DL1, Dragons of Despair, and continued all the way through to DL14, Dragons of Triumph, came out in 1986. Now that was a strange concept back then. What happened is there was 14 modules that were all linked together in one campaign. You actually were given your characters... You didn't run your own characters. You were given characters. I remember they started off at like level 3 or level 4. None of them started off at level 1. And then you would run those pre-made PCs throughout these modules all the way to the very end. I would be very curious to go back and reread those modules. I remember reading them as a kid and I thought they were kind of a little heavy-handed. I didn't really love the modules. I loved the concept. But I remember, I didn't think it was that well done. Now, again, this is, well, back in 1984, so what's that, 35 years ago? So, who knows? I'd be very curious to revisit them and see what I think of them today. But they were, uh, they were beautiful. They were just gorgeous, gorgeous modules. They had amazing maps. They, they were just fantastic. As for actually playing them, I never played them. I just read them. If anyone did play them, I'd be really curious to know what you thought of the War of the Lance and Dragonlance back in the day. Now, as for my personal opinion of modern-day Adventure Paths, if you remember, I actually spoke to Eric Mona, and he told me when he came up with the idea of the Adventure Path, he was going to do 20 adventures. Can you imagine? Age of Worms was going to be 20 adventures altogether. That would have been nuts. They obviously made it 12 because they were in a magazine format and their 12 sounded like a good idea. Now, I can tell you right now, 12 modules is really fun, but oh my god, is that way too many modules. So they cut it down to 6 when Paisa was born. And I tell you, almost 6 is almost too much as well. 6 is a lot of modules. I haven't tried the Starfinder experiment of three modules. I almost think three might be too short. In fact, if I had my druthers, I'd say four. I'd say four might be the perfect sweet spot. 
because my experience, and I've done a lot of Adventure Paths, is that Module 1 is always the module where everyone's sort of like, you know, testing out their characters, figuring out what's going on, trying to figure out the story, trying to figure out what the MacGuffin is, trying to like, you know, just balance the party and, you know, the personalities of the party. So book one is usually just like an exploratory book. Book two, you're starting to get an idea of what's going on. You're starting to get the story outlined and, you know, your characters are kind of coming into their own. Book three is usually where things really shine. By now, you know exactly what's going on in the story. Characters are much higher level. You know, by now you're pretty strong. You're not going to get one hit killed usually. Everyone has personality traits. You're starting to develop as, you know, a team. And book three and book four are usually where these adventure paths shine. I'd say book four is where things really get good. Actually, both books, book three and book four, I'd say are the best books of these adventure paths because everyone's very comfortable as a party. They're very comfortable with their characters and they're not, you know, well, level one. They're usually pretty strong by now and they are pretty well developed. Usually those low teens or, you know, in the Starfinder's case, like levels eight and nine and such, that's where, you know, the characters get really good. Now, book five, and sometimes the end of book four, but usually book five, book five is always the hardest. That's the slog fest. <laughs> book five is always tough. And by now, these adventure paths always take about, for at least us, two years to do. I don't know how people do them faster, but for us, we can only play once a week. We only play two to three hours a week, and realistically, it's less than that because we're always talking before the show, and so we don't really get to do all the playing. So, book five is the real tough one. By now, we've been playing with these characters for a year and a half. People are starting to get itchy. They want to play something else. They're getting a little sick of these characters, and then they realize, ugh, we got another full book to go. And book five is usually the toughest book. And then, finally, you get the book six. And book six is where everyone wakes up, everyone gets re-energized, everyone realizes, oh boy, this is it, this is the end. They start going crazy, they try out things they've been wanting to do all along, you know, all the secrets come out. If anyone loved someone, they declare their love to them. If somebody hated someone, they declare their hate to them. Everything comes out, and you're going to see a lot of that in this book. You're going to see everyone go crazy, and you could already see it, that after five books of Rusty hiding who he was, he drops the disguise. He's just out in the open. He's some crazy undead monstrosity, and he's showing the world what he is. Everyone is just going nuts. It's, it's going to be a really fun ride. But my point being is that books one and two are sort of, you know, the intro. I like to think of it as a trilogy. That's the best way to think of this. Books one and two are the first book of the trilogy. Book three and four are the second book, and then five and six. Books one and two are usually the fun intros. Three and four is the meat and the fun part of the trilogy. And then five and six is where you wrap everything up. Five, if you're going to be running one of these yourself, you just got to run. You just got to go through five really quick. I think you just have a lot of high energy. Just blow through it. If you notice, that was by far the shortest one for us. I could have actually even made it shorter fairly easily. I actually expanded a little bit, I think. And I could have probably made that in like 10 episodes. We really went through book five fast. 
And now we're up to book six. And book six actually is also going pretty fast, too. I will say we are, like, flying through book six. And we're very close to the end in real life. Where, as you know, we're kind of like a couple of months ahead of schedule. So we're almost at the end of the book. And it's, uh, it's getting kind of sad. But I have a big plan to finish up the podcast. And then we're going to start a new one. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere. We're going to start a new podcast. What we're going to be playing, I'm not sure. I think we'll probably play one Starfinder 1 and one Pathfinder 2. I really am excited. I've said this before in the past shows of playing the new Adventure Paths. You know, I really want to play Pathfinder 2. been playing it weekly. I really am having fun with Pathfinder 2. And to be honest, uh, I'm not a little sick of Starfinder, but we have been playing it for two and a half years. I am in the mood for a change. You know, Pathfinder 2, not only is it fantasy, but it's a brand new system, and it's a really fun system. There's always something fun of not only playing a new game, but a new system where you're finding out all the nooks and crannies and, like, how the system plays, and it's just a lot of fun. That's the fun we've been having with Starfinder. So, look for that. At this point, looks like we're probably going to wrap this up. What's it, October now? Uh, Maybe... Maybe January, February, I think, is probably where we're going to wrap this thing up. Maybe maybe March, but it's coming. The end is coming. But don't worry, it's, it's going to be a fun ride. Where you're going to have a lot of fun on the end here. So with that, let's quickly go to show notes. Don't forget, everybody, a new podcast every single Tuesday and Friday. Do subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Androids, and everything you could ever imagine. A lot of people listen to us on Spotify. A lot of people listen to us on YouTube. I like that people listen to us on YouTube. YouTube is really popular. Do check out Jason's Talking Combat column every single Monday and Talking Plague Stone every single Thursday where you can hear all about the Fall of Plague Stone podcast. Do check out our Discord channel, discord.ruleforcombat.com where you two can play games, get free t-shirts, find cool stuff, talk to us anytime you want. We're on there all the time. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Check out the Reddit channel. Check out our Patreon where we got cool things. And then be on the lookout for reviews. Every single hardcover book by Paizo we are reviewing on the Roll for Combat website. So do check that out. We just did the Alien Archive 3 if you want to read that review. And we're going to be doing the Lost Omens character guide in the very near future. If Jason ever gets off of his butt and writes that damn thing. But be on the lookout for that in the near future. And, oh my god, we're out of announcements. Well, there you go. This has been a very long post-show analysis. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. And I will see you guys next week. You've been listening to Roll for Combat, a Starfinder actual play podcast. If you have a question or comment for the show, please visit us at RollForCombat.com or drop us a line at contact at RollForCombat.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Discord, and other social media platforms.
been listening to Roll for Combat. Until next week, always remember Rusty Carter's motto, I'm sure you have a lot to say, but hear me out first.